Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. Hi Trinity and welcome to our YouTube channel if you're new to us and just exploring Trinity Church London or the Christian faith, I just want to say you're so welcome. Um, this is actually a bit different because we had a small blip with our sermon on Sunday and the recording. So what I'm doing now is just introducing the Sunday sermon and giving the first point. And so in just a moment, uh, I'm going to transition us to our Sunday recording and uh, we're going to carry on. I put on the same shirt for continuity's sake. I hope you appreciate the little touch there. Um, but I want to just introduce what uh, this sermon is about, um, because for us, we feel this is really important. Over the last year, we've sensed that the Lord wants to forge something deep down in our souls and in our church together. We felt him speak to us um, about forging a deep unity and togetherness in us as a community and that he wanted to forge our faith, that he wanted to strengthen our faith and sharpen our faith, knowing that there are things for us to be doing in London and the nations for his glory that he wants to prepare us for now. And so off the back of this sense of Jesus' leadership, um, we want to grow in our corporate prayer together. We, we always talk about praying individually. We want to grow in that. But actually for us to grow in corporate prayer, to gather together in prayer, knowing that when we gather together in prayer, the Lord has the opportunity to forge not just unity and togetherness, but our faith in our togetherness and these two things come together when we gather in corporate prayer and uh, we're going to be going through a book called The Prayers of Many which has been written by Mike Betts and the team with Relational Mission which we really appreciate. It's a nine-week course uh, which takes us deeper into the purposes of God and like I said on Sunday I'm not trying to launch a new course here, I'm not trying to launch a new initiative here what I'm doing is inviting us to walk into the purposes of God, to take a step further into the deeps with him. Um, that we want to be a church that's not led by agendas or programs or our ideas, but a church that is genuinely led by Jesus Christ. And we do that by primarily coming to him in prayer talking to him and listening to him and being led and shaped by him as he speaks to us in his word and as we go to him in prayer. And this is really just me giving four attempts at stirring up the pot, stirring up the hearts of us in our community that we might see the functional priority of corporate prayer. So that corporate prayer would go from a theoretical priority because most of us as Christians would say, yes, praying together is really important, but move from going from a theoretical priority to a functional priority, to that at an operational level, Trinity Church London is led from our prayer meetings. This is the kind of life that we want to live, where Jesus speaks to us, where he empowers us. And from this place, we go into our city to see the glory of God known. So I have four attempts at stirring up corporate prayer. The first one I'm going to give now, and then we're going to jump to me yesterday when I gave this moment. So here's the first thing, that when we gather in prayer, we, we give God the opportunity to forge his work in our life. It's almost like 
an anvil, coming to God with an anvil and allowing him to forge something and strengthen and sharpen something in us together in our unity and in our faith. We see David in a moment of distress in the Old Testament when he was under pressure and overwhelmed. We're told that he strengthened himself in the Lord. That actually something happened when he came to the presence of Jesus where it allowed strength to be added to him. And we see it properly, I think, and finally in Jesus Christ, where at the very end of his life, where all of the opposition and antagonism towards him and what he is about kind of comes to a head and he takes three of his friends away to a garden just outside the walls of Jerusalem, the Garden of Gethsemane, to go and pray. And he says, you wait here and pray. I'm going to go over here and be with my father in prayer. And Jesus literally physically falls apart before his father. But where does he do that? He does it in prayer. He's pouring out of the, the pores of his skin, blood that dropping from because of the pressure that he is feeling. But he is doing that in prayer. He comes to the father in prayer and falls apart before him. And then when he gets up from that place, what actually happens? We see Jesus walking towards the cross, walking towards an ultimate suffering with this calm and strength and this poise, able to fulfill the prophecies of old, that he would go like a lamb led to the slaughter, who was quiet and would walk into the darkest pits of hell for us. He did that because the Lord forged something in his soul in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when you contrast that with his friends who are with him at the time and what happened with them, you see what the Lord can do because his friends went away and they decided like I would probably do. Actually, I'm just tired and they fell asleep. There was just pressure upon them. They knew things weren't going well and they were so tired they just fell asleep. They didn't give the Lord an opportunity in prayer to forge something in their souls. And so when they get up and the soldiers come and they find Jesus and his friends, what do they do? They freak out. They try and pull their sword out, then, then they try and run away, then they deny Jesus, then they hide, and then they just walk away when everything's said and done on the Saturday. They cannot cope with the pressure of life when it comes upon them. So you see this contrast between Jesus and his friends, and we want to be like Christ, to walk in his ways and find the strength of the Lord in ourselves, and that comes from the place of prayer. And for us as a church, if we want to walk into all that he has for us in an increasingly antagonistic age, we are going to need strength and sharpness added to our soul. So that's the first reason. The second reason, now back to the me of yesterday. This works. Secondly, prayer is just a simple, the chief function of our life as a church. It's the, it's the chief cornerstone of all that we do. Our goal is the glory of God. That's our vision, to see the glory of God known. That's just the Bible's vision for life. But the core way in which we work that out is through prayer, which is exactly what we see in this moment. Because what had happened in the temple at this point is that the temple had been set up by God to be the interchange between heaven and earth. The place where people could come to know Yahweh, the living God, that you could meet your maker. You could be made right with God. And God created this temple and he promised that his presence would dwell there. And it was to be a gathering place for the nations. And over time, these courts had developed around the Holy of Holies. And the biggest and the largest, the outer court, was called the Court of the Gentiles. And what had happened is because to come to God in the Old Testament, you had to bring a sacrifice. 
And imagine if you had to come a week's journey, like a week's walk to the temple. You would struggle to bring a lamb from your hometown all the way to Jerusalem and still keep that spotless and blameless. And so what, what happened is that people began to think, actually, we could cut out some difficulty here and we could start selling lambs and pigeons to those who are coming to the temple there on the like on the actual courts of the temple so that you could travel, bring your money, just buy it last minute and then bring your sacrifice. So some people started thinking, actually, let's, let's just make this more convenient for people. And this temple market basically grew and grew and grew until the point where the, te- the, the court of the Gentiles was a crowded marketplace. It became essentially like this religious stock exchange for animals. It was noisy. It was busy. There were people selling their wares. And what happened, as you can imagine, like if you go to a service station on the M1, you realize, why are the prices so high here? You're like, ah, oh, we're, we're a captive audience right now. If I've run out of petrol, I need to be here. So people like they just hike the prices up a bit, which is exactly what happened. In the, so you could buy a pigeon outside of the temple for so amount. And yet they would times it by 10 plus sometimes when you're inside the temple, because what do you hit? You, you can't go anywhere else. You've come from a week's journey away and the place had become crowded. So what had happened is that they had stopped people coming to God in prayer because those who had no money they couldn't afford the the animals in the temple they had created this unjust system where the poor couldn't actually get access to God and they had literally physically just stopped the space for people to come and gather in worship because the place was crowded with stools and sellers and animals and you know just imagine the kind of noise that would have been going on in this place And so what does Jesus, Jesus knows this, he's grown up around the temple, he's seen this. And he comes into the temple this time and we're told this. They came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who had bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple jesus meek and mild look at jesus imagine this moment one man i mean this is not like he put on like he ripped out and actually he's got an s underneath his tunic and he's like don't worry guys i got this one my guess is that jesus there were people around him who were just under conviction that they knew that what jesus was doing was godly and right that they they probably knew that they were in the wrong in this place of hundreds and thousands of people, Jesus began turning. I mean, imagine these people's businesses. Imagine going into Nando's, just like thrashing away like chicken, like you're overselling your Nando's. Or it's only because it's on my mind, like nothing against Nando prices, you know. <laughs> Don't sue or anything like that. It's quite reasonable prices, but you know, <laughs> this is people's business. You know, it's like, and, and yet they, something within their spirits thinking, no, Jesus is, is right here. Because what he was doing, he wasn't just randomly fuming, like it's not just out of control. He is deliberately, prophetically turning over the temples, saying that the system by which you have set up in the temple is corrupt. You have stopped people coming to God our Father through this market stall. And he turns over the temples, declaring that he is going to overturn the whole system. 
So that in just a week's time, he doesn't just turn over temples, but he himself goes to overturn the whole system by going to a cross and dying underneath the weight of all the attitudes, all of the selfishness, all of the wrong priorities in God's people's lives, so that he might take on our sin and overturn the whole thing, so that we might simply come, not through sacrifice, not through a corrupt system, but simply by talking to God wherever we might be. He disrupts the whole thing in his crucifixion and then rises again to become the intercessor and the intermediary between us and God so that wherever you are in work on the tube at home, you might come to God and just simply talk to him. Doing away with this corrupt system that had grown up. And the tricky thing, I think, for us is that these market sellers, you could think like, it's it's just outrageous. You know, how how could they get in the way of prayer? We're Christians. We would never get in the way of prayer. But this is my guess. My guess is that people who started at whatever generation in the past, they started with good intentions. Probably, hey, I know, let's like, let's make this easier for people. Like we'll set up our business closer to the temple. It probably started with good intentions. But good intentions can morph over weeks and months and years to become something you never intended. Because actually they realize, actually, this is, this is good money. Actually, this is pretty good business. Actually, we could hike the price up and like people are still our captive audience. So they have to. And you can imagine over the years when you actually begin to make better money and your career is going better and you manage to get a bigger place for your family and your fa- you're eating better food and et cetera, et cetera. You think, I don't want to give this up. And so you go further and further and further into moving God's priorities out of the way for your priorities. And for many of us, that can happen. We're young in our life and we start with Jesus with all these good intentions. And over the years, you could end up in 10, 20 years time looking and think, I feel like I've shifted somewhere in my priorities for my life. I feel like my priorities have actually become more important than God's priorities. And Jesus comes and into this, as he turns these tables over, he says this. He was teaching them, saying, is it not written, recalling the prophetic word from Isaiah, my house, this is the father speaking, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus says, you have got the priorities wrong in my temple. This place was built for prayer. And why is prayer the chief function of God's people? Why not mission or evangelism or serving, whatever? Like there are so many other good things you could put in there that would still be godly. Why prayer? Because I think prayer is the chief exercise of faith. The first breath that faith takes is the breath of prayer. The moment you became a Christian, it's a little bit like when the baby is born and takes its first, first breath. You know, that moment like the lungs just taking the oxygen. That's what happens when you become a Christian. You just pray for the first time and suddenly your life is filled with the life of God. Sometimes I think the Holy Spirit has to give us a smack on the bum to to get there. But we get there and we make that prayer and we walk by faith. And faith is simply the foundation of prayer. Jesus makes this link later. He says in verse 22, later he says, Jesus answered them and he said, have faith in God. And then he links synonymously faith with prayer it says truly i say to you whoever says to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will come to pass it will be done for him therefore i tell you whatever you ask in prayer believe that you have received it he links faith with prayer they are synonymous so sometimes people say like i've got a very strong faith i've got strong faith 
And what we often mean in our culture is, I feel my convictions very strongly. I've got a strong faith. Actually, how passionately you feel about a certain ethic or belief or something is not necessarily the sign of strong faith. How do you know how your faith is right now? How could you do an audit on your faith? I would suggest look at your, look at your prayer life. Little prayer probably equals little faith. Much prayer probably is an indication of much faith. Why? Because we're told that there is this God of glory who makes all that he is available to us in Jesus Christ, all of his beauty, all of his power. He says, everything about me is accessible in your life. And yet so many of us choose to walk through with the God of glory just here saying, I am available. All of my resources have been made available to you. If you will just ask me, I will give to you. And yet we choose day after day to think we can do it by ourselves while leaving the God of glory there thinking, I've got strong faith i feel very passionately about the christian sexual ethic in our day and yet we never there's a god is saying like infinite resources are available to you if you will just ask and draw down my power into your life and we want to be a church that draws down the power of god and functionally sees prayer as our cornerstone so it's just you know we're trinity church london right and there are some churches that say they're churches, but Jesus may actually have a different assessment. Because we're told in Revelation that there are some churches that Jesus says, away from me. So just because you've got church on the title of your website doesn't mean that you're part of Jesus' church. You know, how do we walk in the fullness of being a church? We pray, we gather together to, to pray. And for us, you know, I, I, I've been doing, you know, as we all have, just thinking about our lives and with COVID and all these things and thinking, okay, wh what is it now like that we're going to be about? And I feel like for myself, I'm touring our own London. This is us. Like, I don't think we're going anywhere. Trinity is our, is our life. Like, we, we're giving ourselves to this work. Like, what are we going to be about? What is it that's going what to, what are the key metrics going to be of like, how do, how do we know that we're doing things right? Pre, this, is, this is just confession time. Pre-COVID, we used to count the numbers on a Sunday. And I would like bug Abdullah or Tony normally, like on a Sunday afternoon, how many people were there? You know, it's like four of us. All right, I could have counted that myself. That's fine. Thanks. Yeah, I'm sure we saw someone walk past the room. We'll count them as well, you know. And just over kind of thing, like that, that's, not, that's not a good metric on church health. Because the temple at this time, it was crowded, it was noisy, it was energetic. There would have been a hustle and bustle, probably a sense of excitement. You know, like, wow, there's noise, there's a crowd here. And yet Jesus looks at them, nah, you need to come and pray. So we're not, we're not counting Sunday numbers anymore. We may count our church prayer meeting attendance, I don't know. But we, I'm, I'm, I'm just sharing what is on my heart, like the... What is it that's going to make us a healthy, vital church? I was just our, our numbers on a, sun, at a church prayer meeting are much more important than what happens on a Sunday. Because we have, gather a big crowd and we pray many people come to know Jesus. But numbers on a Sunday, that, that's not a really real indication. Jim Simbala, some of you have heard of this guy, Jim. He set up a church, started a church in Brooklyn. Jennifer's from shout out to Jennifer I don't know why I just think Brooklyn is such a cool place I've never been but you know like um, I'm not influenced by rap videos at all no um, and uh, he planted this church church of now thousands and he made this point that really I read his book Fresh Wind Fresh Fire 
And he says, you know when a pastor or a leadership is popular by who turns up on a Sunday. And he says, you know when Jesus is actually popular by who turns up to the prayer meeting. And I read that and I thought, ouch. <laughs> and I know there's all sorts of mitigating factors, work, etc., etc. I'm not trying to lay condemnation. I'm just trying to sift through the noise of church life and bring about what I think Jesus is saying is priorities for us. That's the second attempt. Third attempt. I'm going to go a bit quicker now. A, a fruitful life is birthed out of prayer. A fruitful life is birthed out of prayer. Because there is this thing here where Jesus, he does this weird thing. Do you hear it? Like when he cursed this fig tree. And a lot of people who are skeptical about Christianity think, look, here's Jesus once again being weird and random and just exercising his power for some non-capricious reasons. Like he's just cursing a fig tree. Why would Jesus do that? But Jesus is not just being random. He is actually, he's a very, he's a master teacher. And he's putting forward this kind of object lesson. Knowing what he's about to do in the temple outside of Jerusalem, he, he, he gives us his object lesson. Because God's people at the time, they were likened continually in the scriptures to a vine. And even outside of you, as you walked into the temple, they had engraved this vine onto the entrance of the temple because a vine symbolized the, the life of God's people. So Jesus talks about the vine in John 15. He says, if you're going to bear fruit as, as the vine, then you need to abide in me. And so this fig tree, and the Jews would have known this, was symbolic of, of God's people. And so when Jesus comes up to this fig tree and he withers, he curses this tree. And everyone's like, Jesus has gone barmy. Like, why is he talking to trees all of a sudden? What he's doing is he's, he's prophetically telling people what's going to happen to the temple system and the leaders of the day in just a few short hours. Because what he does when he curses the fig tree, he enacts in real life when he turns over the, the tables. Because when the crowd walked, when, when the disciples walked in, they would have seen life, noise, energy, money, people doing well for themselves. There would have been an excitement about this there would have been a sense of like they've been to a festival that kind of like people were gathering from all across the diaspora to gather to jerusalem you're seeing old family members old friends there was this growing sense of and so you could have thought here is life this is where stuff is happening and yet when jesus walks in he declares through the withered fig tree this is what i see i see empty spirituality i see a Withering, a withering, <laughs> a withering fig tree, yeah, a withering fig tree. Jesus' assessment is often different to ours. See, well, this is—he's a big crowd. This must be something that Jesus is pleased with. Jesus says, "No, I see something that is withering away and dying." And so at the end of this, he calls them back because afterwards, read this in verse 20, they passed by in the morning and they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has, has withered. And Jesus said to them, have faith in God. And then he goes on to this lesson about prayer. What is the antidote to this withering? It's, it's prayer. So a fruitless life is linked to a prayerless life. And Jesus says the antidote to a fruitless withering life is actually prayer. And Jesus says in John 15 that where there is abiding with Jesus, where there is prayer, then there is a fruitful life. 
We were praying yesterday for Europe, online prayer meeting, and it was amazing to hear some of the stories that were coming out of new church plants and new initiatives and how when you traced the origins back to these initiatives, they came out of prayer meetings. They came out of gatherings before the presence of God, where God changed trajectories. I said, I want to do something amongst you. I want to do something and bless the nations. And so a fruitful life for us is only going to take place within prayer. We, you can't, part of the issue is, you know, you put some work in, you put some effort in at work and you can kind of see your results. Put my work in here, we got the clients, etc. It's you can kind of put a direct correlation. But the thing is, we probably prayed 99.9 of us sent prayers in, in in into the heavens before God the Father, and we never can draw the dots between that prayer that I prayed and the fruit that was born. And so it's kind of I can understand there's a frustration. You pray year on year on year, and you think we've been praying for the nations, but you know, you can't see the direct correlation. But it doesn't mean that God is not storing up these prayers and one day we will see all that God did through our prayer life together. A fruitful life is, is born out of prayer. Am I communicating to anybody? Yeah, a few people. All right. Fourthly, we're living, and this is lastly, we're living in a time of great need. Just like Jesus' day. You know, our, our culture is walking away from Jesus and Christianity. Don't need sociologists to tell us that. Christian ethics are being like, essentially violently pushed to the margins of our society. Like they're being pushed out of public discourse in the name of tolerance, but being pushed out. And the culture is moving away from Christianity. And this is not a political statement. I'm not that interested in politics. This is a spiritual statement that we are walking away from God. And the needs are, are great. And so the question becomes, how, how do we in a culture that is walking away from God, where church attendance is declining, where less people are saying, I follow Jesus, how do we turn the tide? How do we see what is moving away from Jesus turn back towards Jesus? How do we see more people find eternal, joyous, life-giving, eternal life in, in Jesus? How, how do we do it? And maybe like a few years ago, well, like we've got to spruce things up at church. We've got to modernize things. You know, let's get a band. Let's get a guitar. Let's get some drums. I love all of this stuff. You know, let's get a, let's improve our website. Definitely better website, more people coming to Jesus, you know, that kind of like. Or, but if we think that just doing things slightly trendier with a slightly better website is going to do it, we would be mistaken. <laughs> it would be like seeing someone, you know, dying of cardiac arrest and thinking, I know what this person needs. They need, they need a new outfit and they probably need to improve their Instagram profile. That will probably do it for them. What do we need? We, we need God. And we need God answering his people's prayers. We need God's people to cry out. Because Jesus, in his day, there was great need. They were keeping the Gentiles, the nations, out from the presence of God. And Jesus, in his heart, something was crying out. And so when he recites and teaches, you can hear his kind of the visceral anger in his heart. Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. 
You hear the indignation. Jesus saw the needs of his day. He saw that the glory of his father was not being recognized. My house, the father's house, his concerns for the need that the glory of his father would be recognized. The health of his church, my house. He's saying there is a concern in Jesus' heart that the house of God would be used for what it's meant to be used for as a place of prayer that the nations would gather to God. You hear this and the injustice. You're making this place a den of robbers. You hear the kind of visceral passion because of the need that's set before him. And Jesus comes into this to reprioritize prayer in their life because there is a need that needs to be met. And if we're going to meet the need, we can't just be like, oh, the culture this, oh, BBC this, oh, no one's taking, you know, sniping and moaning to our friends. Like that's really going to make a difference. For people individuals to find eternal life in Jesus we need to take all of that upset to God in prayer and say Lord you've said that your nations would gather to you and would you do that in our generation any spark of anger or sense of injustice that's happening in the world allow that to be a motivator to pray just start praying Lord would you come and meet the needs of our generation would you turn the tide that by the time we're old and wrinkly saying our last blessings to our family before we go to see Jesus, we could have seen the tide turn. We could have seen London changed in its spiritual outlook. And the only way that's going to happen is through prayer. We have no other option at this point. Spiritually speaking, our backs are against the wall. There's no, like, there's no you know, we're not, we're not looking to get any cooler than this, you know, like, you got the branding, you got the nice colors, you got a good band, like we got the bar, this is it, like nothing cooler. What we do have though is God who answers prayer in a mighty fashion. So I'm close with two, two things and then we're gonna actually pray. Okay, two things. Firstly is this, and they're very practical, I could say like a hundred practical things, but we'll come the this, not launching it, just saying it, get, it gets to a lot of the practicals. But the first thing is this, because I know in London, we're split apart in many different ge geographies. And so one of the big things about gathering for prayer is just the simple journey factor. You've got to get on the Northern line, you've got to get on the tube, you've got to get on, you've got a bus or whatever. And it's, so I understand that, That's, that is a thing for us that we've got to work through. It's not like pop around the corner, pop you know, back home in 10 minutes. And I'm not saying everyone has to come to a Wednesday night prayer meeting in Victoria because there are lots of different things that are going on with families and kids, etc. I know the difficulties of that. But what I am asking us is firstly just to redeem our thinking around getting on the train. Because God's people had to actually travel to get to the temple. I mean, you could imagine if you lived a week's walk away from the temple and you're like, oh God, you know, why isn't Zoom invented yet? Like, why couldn't we just do it from our home? This is so, you know, you've got to pack bags and like, why can't we, you know, there's a whole, there's planning and preparation. They called it pilgrimage. And what the Jewish people did is they actually redeemed the journey. There's a whole section of the Psalms, starting from Psalm 120, that were written to be sung and recited on their way to the temple to pray to God that they actually redeemed the journey, that the journey became not an inconvenience, but part of the sacrament of coming to God in prayer. 
that is actually part and parcel of their relationship with God. And what I want to do is just help us just rethink our journeys on the train. That actually they are not just an inconvenience, but that they are an opportunity to engage with God and to consider them as pilgrimage. Don't think I'm being silly here because well, that's what you do when you go to Mecca or that's a, that's a thing that the, whole, you know, the saints of old just pilgrimage. Like, I'm on the Northern Line. This doesn't feel like pilgrimage. But it probably didn't feel like pilgrimage when you were sat on a donkey or walking for your third day with blisters on your feet either. We've, we've just got to reimagine what it means to get to somewhere and come back again and redeem those moments. Maybe just like start reading Psalm 120 when you jump on the train. It's like, okay, okay pastor said like this can be a holy moment it doesn't feel like it but just like read the bible talk to god about it and just so you get my point that's my first thing and if you can only make zoom that's absolutely fine we'd rather you were praying than not at all but something special and unique does happen when we gather in one place together and i think we all agree with that so that's the first thing to say and the second thing to say is this over this next few months the invitation is just to take a, a step further into the deep with God. So you might feel like, uh, you know, I, I've touched a prayer meeting once or twice. You might feel like you've got your toe in once. The invitation is simply, why don't you just step in up to your knees? You know, like if you've never prayed out loud before, why don't you take the next few months think, OK, I'm going to pray out loud in a prayer meeting for the first time. Or maybe you feel like you're up to your knees. The invitation is just to grow a little bit and just walk up to your waist in the presence of God. You know, you might never have got past that position before. You know, not that this is anything holier, but, you know. I remember going on a journey. Like, I'm not finished on my journey with prayer by any means. I only feel like I've begun. I'm like 24 years into this now and I feel like I'm only just beginning to learn like, how to actually pray and wrestle with God in prayer. But I remember those early moments. I remember the moment I, I first went, went like that in, in a prayer meeting. Like I, I thought, I genuinely thought like the whole band would just screech to a halt. It'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who's the guy on the 10th row who's just put his hands like that? Because I, th I just thought the whole meeting was looking at me. Like I thought, you know, being a godless, you know, selfless person that I am, I like I think all my friends are going to think I've gone like, like ooh, who's Daniel like he's so special in prayer that he's going to put his I, I thought as like an 18 year old that if you did that you were like showing off like oh I'm so holy I put my hands in the air and I remember the, the next time going like that and my sister saying why do you do that in prayer <laughs> I remember praying out loud for the very first like it sticks in my brain an all-night prayer meeting as a student we had nothing to get up for the next day and we pray all night and I remember thinking okay I'm just gonna do it I don't I'm tired but I'm just gonna do it and I remember praying out loud like with 30 40 of us there in a room it was a big deal for me and it still sticks in my brain but I had to go on a journey and I'm going on a journey. So the invitation for us is just to take the next step in prayer, just to come one step further into the deeps with God. If you feel like you're an infant in prayer, just take one step. If you feel like you're intermediate, take one step. If you feel like you're advanced, there are a lot of other levels to go in prayer. Amen? Amen. Okay.